We're going to have fun in this service this morning. We are continuing in a series in Proverbs. We've been in the book of Proverbs. We're in a series called Choices. And we've been talking about navigating through the noise of life and knowing how to make good choices. And if you will go ahead and turn with me to that book, we're going to be in Proverbs chapter 24. We will also uh, be looking uh, just for a moment in the book of Genesis. And we will also be in Ephesians, just giving you a heads up about where we're going. So you can maybe go ahead and get your finger or your marker in some of those different places we're going to be looking in. What we've been doing is we've been looking over the, since the beginning of the year in this book on Proverbs, a series called Choices. We've been talking about making good decisions in our life. And so we've been wanting to know what is, what does wisdom look like? What does that look like? What does the Bible have to say about what it means to live with wisdom, to make wise choices? What does the Bible also have to say about foolishness and what folly looks like? And, and, and so, so what we've been trying to do is learn these two lifestyles and, and assess our own lives and ask God to, to, to bring conviction in our lives where there is foolishness and to bring his strength and to bring wisdom in our lives because we want to make good decisions. We want our lives to be lives that are filled with good choices. And our choices is what ends up making us. And they're often why we are where we are today. And, and so we want to live with wisdom. We determined in the first week that wisdom is beginning to see life from God's perspective. It's seeing life the way that God sees it. And it's adjusting your life into doing the things that God says that we should do. And what many of us experience in our life we, just, we experience because of poor choices uh, an, uh, just an enormous amount of self-induced suffering. We bring a lot of hurt on ourselves because of poor choices, amen? Bad decisions that we make where we don't know how to respond or we don't know how to act or, or maybe our responses are out of control. And, and so the decision to pursue wisdom produces a number of benefits in our lives. It builds a foundation, a bedrock that your family can exist upon. Because the, the thing is, is we want to make good choices. We desire to make good choices. I know as parents, and I asked this last week, how many of you were parents and all the hands went up in the room and so many of you said, we want to help our kids make good choices. But to be able to do that, we have to know how to make good choices and live with wisdom. When you choose wisdom, when you pursue wisdom, there are benefits. Proverbs chapter 24, look with me in verse 3 and 4 in the NLT. Here's what it says. It says that a house is built by, say it with me church, it's built by wisdom. A house is built by wisdom and becomes strong through good sense. Through knowledge its rooms are filled with all sorts of precious riches and valuables. In other words, there's going to be great benefits by having a home, a family, a life built upon the wisdom of God. Now he's going to begin to say this. The wise are mightier than the strong. And what he's saying by that, what he's meaning by that is, is that when, it, when he says the strong is those who are in power, those who are warriors. Uh, he says the wise are mightier than the strong. And those with knowledge, or in other words, wisdom, they grow stronger and stronger. So he says, don't go to war without wise guidance. Victory depends upon having many advisors. Solomon said, don't go to war without wise counsel. Don't go to war without the wisdom of God. And, and it's interesting that he uses this kind of, uh, kind of terminology here about war, because what we know about our lives, as scripture tells us, is that we are in a battle. You're in a battle every single day. You're in a spiritual battle. You're in a battle to live for Christ. You're in a battle to make good decisions. You're in a battle to make moral decisions. And sometimes we, we do make good decisions. Sometimes we blow it. And, and so you are in a war. You're in a war for, uh, for wisdom in your life. You're in a war for uh, whether or not you're going to choose folly in your life as the Bible describes it. And fortunately, what we have is not God just saying, hey, be wise, be smart in your choices. What we also have is God provides us this book of Proverbs and the, the whole counsel of his word uh, throughout the whole Bible, but specifically Proverbs to have someone like Solomon, who was the wisest man to have ever lived, excluding Jesus himself, who was God himself, to come alongside us as a life coach and say, be wise and here's how you do it. Be wise and here's how you need to respond to certain things. And here's what this is going to do when this is out of control in your life. And, but more importantly, not only do we have Solomon as this coach who comes alongside of us, as a believer, if you're a believer, 
you have the gift of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit that Jesus has said would come when he leaves and that has been given to you that you receive and now indwells you and and has filled you. And so as you have the spirit of God, he is, the scripture says, our counselor. He is our teacher. He's our coach. He's the one that is going to not only just tell you how to live, but here's the good thing. It's not a bunch of knowledge. He's going to empower you to be able to live this way if you're a believer. Amen? It's not going to be through your own power. He's going to empower you to make good choices. And so today what I want to talk to you about is an area of our lives that whenever it's out of control can produce a tremendous amount of foolishness in our life. But not only can it produce foolishness in our life and embarrass us and make us look like fools when it's out of control, this area, uh, when it's out of control, can produce a lot of pain, a lot of hurt, a lot of self-induced suffering. We'd even say it this way, a lot of collateral damage, whether it's even in your own life, but most often it's in the lives of those that, are, that we're closest to. The area I want to talk to you about that brings complexity in our relationships when it's out of control is this area of an out-of-control anger. And Proverbs speaks so much and, uh, about an out-of-control anger. And, and this isn't a scripture we'll look at today, but it says a man who gives full vent to his anger is a fool. That he is foolish when he gives full vent and it's not brought under submission in some kind of way. And anger, as I've been studying this and been looking at this and looking at it in my own life, as I have my struggles with this and have been prone to foolishness in my own life uh, in this area, it's an interesting human emotion to study. But it's really interesting to study from a biblical historical standpoint. When you think back to the Garden of Eden and you think back to Adam and Eve and their sin as they disobeyed God and they made a bad choice to to uh, to 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 live in disobedience towards God. God came to them and when he confronted them because of their disobedience, they were ashamed. But what you're going to see happen is that they're going to begin to blame one another. They're going to have conflict with each other. There was angry there, anger there. They were angry with each other and they blamed one another. And this, look at what we did. Look at what she did. Look at what he has led us into. And where they had been living in harmony with each other and they were in relational bliss and, and there was harmony there. Now because of sin and what you're going to see, the curse of sin, Scripture says this, that in this relationship that was once a perfect relationship, now as sin has entered in, now they're going to try to dominate one another. They're going to try to rule over the, uh, one another. And God uh, had given Adam uh, and talked about the curse that Adam would receive uh, as a result of his disobedience. And God came to Eve and said, because of your sin, part of your curse will not only be pain in childbirth, but here's what he says. And you may have read this and thought, well, I don't know what, exactly what that means. But he says, your desire will be for your husband. Now, we men, we read that and we go, boom, that sounds good. Woo-hoo. That doesn't sound like much of a curse, right? Okay, we're like, that's what I'm talking about. She's going to desire me, okay? No, what this means is this. It actually means you're going to try to rule over him. You're going to try to dominate him. But then it's going to say, but he will rule over you. What this literally means in the language is this. He will push you down. I want you to think about that. That this is conflict that is going on in this relationship. There's conflict. There's this battle that's raging of who's in charge and who's going to call the shots. And, and so sin, as it began to enter in, this conflict occurred. He will push you down. And, 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 and there's lots of anger in their relationship now where there was relational harmony prior to the fall in chapter 3 of Genesis. When sin came in and the curse of sin came along with it, this curse of sin Part of it came this out-of-control anger. An out-of-control anger. Anger began to become abundant among people. It would progress throughout all humanity. It would take root among people. And it says just a few chapters over, if you go to chapter 6 in Genesis, it says now where there used to be relational harmony, there used to be paradise, now it says this in chapter 6, that the earth was now corrupt and filled with violence. Isn't that interesting? Think about how this all began to uh, develop and it, it had become an angry world. It had become an age of rage. 
not unlike the world that we live in. And God was going to judge this world, as you know, he judged it with a flood. And then, and then even further, Adam and Eve, as, as, as I studied this, as I look at this, the problem of an out-of-control anger hit especially close to home for them. Scripture tells us as anger became out of control within their own family, it impacted their family directly. And you know the story of Adam and Eve's children and how jealousy emerged between their two sons, Cain and Abel. And a seething anger began to to dwell within Cain and it erupted into a fit of murderous rage. The first murder happened because of an uncontrolled anger. Anger that was out out of control. Cain killed Abel, but... Just before he killed Abel, just before the murder occurred, God came to Cain and and he confronts Cain because there was other sin that was going on in his life with greed and some of the other things that were happening in his life. And God, who is one to confront sin, comes to Cain and he says to him, he says, I need to talk to you about about your disposition. Uh, It says this, that Cain was angry. He was angry. Cain and Abel had brought their offerings of worship to God, and Abel brought his best. Cain brought his leftovers. God was pleased with Abel's sacrifice. Cain had a greedy heart, and you'll see that greed and anger, out-of-controlled anger, go hand-in-hand as we look in Ephesians here in a few moments. But we'll see this as it's, it's a characteristic of a sinful heart. Cain, God was pleased with Abel's sacrifice, displeased with Cain's sinful and greedy heart. And once again, where there was sin, God confronted it. He spoke to Cain. Look at Genesis chapter 4. Just for time's sake, it's on the screen. But I want you to read what it says right off. I thought this was fascinating. He says to him, God says to Cain, what does he say? Why are you so, why are you so angry? Why are you so angry? Why are you an angry person? Why, why have you become so angry, the Lord asked Cain? Why do you look so dejected? Will you be accept, You will be accepted if you do what is right. But if you refuse to do what is right, if you refuse to make good, wise choices, then watch out, he says. Sin is crouching at the door. It is eager to, say it with me, it's eager to what? Control you, but you must subdue it and you must be its master. And you know the story. It's a heartbreaking story. Cain never brought his anger under control. His anger became sinful. And, and, and notice I'm saying that his anger became sinful because being angry is not necessarily a sin, as we'll discuss in a second. His anger became out of control. And, and when it became sinful, as sin was waiting to pounce on his life, it was waiting to subdue him. And what do we know happened? Cain, in a rage killed his own flesh and blood, his own mother and father's son. And I, you know, I was thinking this week is just thinking about this message and just contemplating it and thinking about this story over and over. We've heard the story so often we become desensitized to it. I don't know when the last time is you actually thought about the depth of the sorrow that this family experienced when one son murdered another son. I was thinking, I cannot, as a parent of two, I cannot imagine the kind of sorrow I would experience in my life if there was that kind of hatred and bitterness and jealousy and anger which led to this kind of destructive behavior. I cannot even fathom that. And the pain it would cause me and my wife, Hope, if our children did something like that to one another. Do you know what I'm talking about? Whenever you personalize it. I want you to think about how Adam and Eve must have felt as this out-of-control anger impacted their family. It literally ravaged the first family. And it's a heartbreaking story. It caused huge amounts of pain and consequence and, and hurt. What I know for certain is that there is likely not a single person who is here today who has not experienced some form of pain or emotional distress or conflict in our families or in our marriages, our friendships, or our relationships because of an unbridled anger. An anger that has gotten out of control. An anger that has not been dealt with. An anger that may even be underlying and has turned into a root of bitterness. Maybe it's someone that that just didn't, when you were growing up, just didn't, or maybe they even currently do not know how to deal with this emotion of anger whenever it arises, and it's going to arise. But they didn't know or don't know, even currently, how to deal with it. And for some it may who are here, it may have been that you grew up enduring a physically or an emotionally abusive parent. 
that would explode and vomit their emotions on anyone in their path and say horrible and terribly hurtful words. We talked about words in the second week of this series. For some, it may be severed relationships with siblings or with children or something went wrong because of an unbridled anger. I was talking to a guy just the other day. It was two Saturdays ago and I was visiting with him and I hadn't seen him since we had graduated high school. And we were visiting and catching up. We ran into each other and just got to catching up a little bit. I also happened to graduate not only with him, but with his sister. And, um, and so I was talking to him and he was all, we were happy. And he was, had this great look on his face. And I, and I said, hey, how's your sister doing? And his whole countenance changed. And he said, well, he said, we, we got crossways a few years ago. And I said some hateful things and she said some hateful things. And it's been years since I've even spoken to my sister. His countenance changed. I mean, it was... And that made for a little awkward silence there for a few minutes. And I said, well, I'm sorry to hear that. I said, I'm sorry to hear, you know, that that's happened in your family. Some of you know exactly what I'm talking about there. It's just brokenness. Brokenness where, where an argument gets out of control when people say things and they hurt each other in, in, in anger. And, and, and others of you, perhaps you have felt the pain of divorce, either watching your parents deal improperly with this emotion of anger, or maybe you've even experienced it as a spouse and your home has been broken because of an unbridled anger with either one spouse or both spouses involved. For some of you, this has been a generational curse that just keeps reemerging and no one in your family has ever yielded to the spirit of God in this area of your life. And it has devastated your family. My job as a pastor, I don't think there's a day that goes by that I'm not hearing about some sinful situation that someone is sharing with me that they are dealing with, a sin, where sin is involved, where there was some form of out-of-control anger. I don't think there's a day that goes by. There's a day, I mean, nearly every day there's some kind of out-of-control anger that caused this sin or caused this. And, and if I'm really being honest, and I'm not just talking about What I hear happening with others, if I'm really being honest, there's not a day that goes by in my own life and in my own relationships that I'm not having to figure out how to deal with some of my own anger in my own life. Amen. (laughs) I'm just I'm just being honest. Because it's something that I have to deal with. It's something that I have to confront. It's something that if it's not dealt with can bring sin in my own life and 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 stress and frustration and those things when they emerge and I don't deal with them properly properly. Some days I make wise choices and I lay my head down at night and I say, thank you, God, I did not say that. Thank you, I did not act that way. Thank you, God, you helped me today. I yielded to you today. I was walking in the spirit. You saved me. And then I have to tell you, there's some other days that I lay my head down on my pillow. And Hope's like this, you know. You're not getting any toe tonight. Don't you touch me, boy, you know. Put a foot on me. And um, there are other days that I'm just like, God, I was a fool today. I acted like a fool. Does anybody else know what I'm talking about? Am I the only fool? You know, I think I'm talking to the right people, you know. I'm just saying. So what we've established is this, is that Proverbs is this great book about how to be wise. How to be wise and It exhorts us to make better choices, to choose wisdom. I just want to give you a couple of quick proverbs on out-of-control anger and and wisdom and folly and how all that goes together. He says, Proverbs 14, 29, people with understanding. We'll go to that next. People with understanding. I want you to read with me. Let's read this whole verse out loud. People with understanding control their anger. Understanding, it means, again, it means wisdom. People with understanding control their anger. Say the next part with me. A hot temper shows great foolishness. A hothead. You don't know how to deal with it. Maybe you can think of a time recently or in times past where you got really angry and you look back and you've said, man, I feel like a fool. I mean, we don't even, I mean, we know what foolishness looks like, right? I made a fool out of myself. I feel like a fool. The, the book of Proverbs would say there's a reason you feel like a fool. You are a fool. <laughs> it's what Proverbs would say. I mean, shooting straight. That's what it says. Person who's out of control in this area, when they're not controlling it, there's foolishness. Now look at the next thing, Proverbs 29, 22. Look at what he says next. He says, 
an angry person, that's a person that's just, there's anger. It's seething within you. It just blows up. Or for some, it's an inward kind of burn. All right? Because we're different in how we process this. Process it. An angry person starts fights. And look at what it says. And a hot-tempered person commits all kinds of sin. When this is not brought under to subjection within our lives, he says sin is crouching at your door. It is ready to pounce upon you. And then the floodgates of sin are opened, right? And hateful things are said and brokenness happens and all kinds of evil come out of an angry heart. This unresolved anger, this he says there's going to be folly in your life. There's going to be self-induced damage, self-induced suffering, collateral damage. You know, and it's not always going to be so much the guy that maybe out of a fit of rage, you flip him off going down the street, all right, that you never see him again. But for most of us, it's going to be those that are closest to us in our homes, our spouses, our children, our family members. They are often the recipient of this, true, when it's out of control. You don't want to be going down flipping people off that you're never going to see and say that that's okay, especially if you have an EBC bumper sticker, okay? Be careful with that. But here is what you have to consider. You have to consider that you are going to have anger issues. If you have a pulse, you are going to get angry. You're going to get angry. Some of, and we may pretend like we don't get angry. Some of us are good at masking it. Okay? And, 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 but here's the deal. You're going to be frustrated. Life is hard. Life is frustrating. It's, it's part of the curse that, it, it, that there's sin that happens. And, and, and you're going to get angry. And you need to know this morning that you're not a bad person because you get angry about things. That is an unrealistic approach to life. That's not what I'm trying to tell you is that you can never be angry. You're only spiritual. You know, if you have this fake smile on your face all the time, relationships are not good relationships because there's never any anger. Relationships are good relationships because because the people who are involved in them know how to deal wisely with anger when it emerges and in a healthy manner. As a human being, we've been created in the image of God. Scripture tells us this. And, and what we take from this is Scripture tells us that God gets and God got angry about things. When you read about it, right? God gets angry about certain things. And there is a holy, justifiable kind of anger. Jesus got angry about things. He got angry about hypocrisy. He got angry about greed. We find uh, in Scripture that Jesus drove people who were living in hypocrisy and taking advantage of others out of the temple area. And he, it says he looked at one point at the Pharisees that were, were condemning this man because Jesus was healing him on the Sabbath. It says, it literally says, Jesus got angry. We know Jesus never sinned, right? He was sinless. So what we, we can take from this is that you're not unspiritual if you get angry. We want to direct our anger to the appropriate things. Some people think that to be godly, you have to have this this robotic kind of look on your face where you never get mad or sad or ever get discouraged. And many Christians falsely believe this. And a spiritual and wise one, though, knows how to handle anger in a proper kind of manner. So in your desire for wisdom, if you want to be considered, as Scripture says, a wise person, you want to know how to make good choices, then this controlling of anger has to become a life skill. We said wisdom in the first week is a life skill. They're life skills. It's how to properly deal with something. It's how to, how to process it, you know, in a good way. And when it's not processed in a good way, it is inc incredibly toxic in our lives and to our relationships. I mean, it's so toxic. I heard of a son that asked his father, he said, Daddy, how do wars get started? And his father said, well, son, take World War I. It started whenever Germany invaded Belgium there. And his mother kind of rudely interrupts and said, will you tell the boy the truth and tell him that it started with a murder? And he says, are you telling the story? Or am I telling the story? And she gets up mad and she slams the door. And there's this awkward silence that's there. And the little boy says, um, Daddy, I don't think you have to tell me anymore how wars get started. I think I know. That's what happens, right? When we don't, I mean, and, and I, had a, I had a man that came up to me right after the first service and he said, man, I can't believe you're preaching on this today. 
He said, my wife and I got into a blowout this morning on the way. He said, we were just ribbing each other the whole time in first service. And, you, and he said, this is what's crazy. He said, you know what it was about? He said, it was so petty. It was over burnt toast. <laughs> he said, and I'm telling you, it got ugly, right? When, it, when we don't handle it right, it's toxic. It's toxic. Do you know what it does? Let me give you some things quickly. Here's what it does. Unresolved anger causes health problems. Do you know that? An unresolved anger, when it's not dealt with properly, I think next slide, please, it, it causes health problems. University of Michigan study says that people who live in a place where there's a chronic angry environment, their study lives, for instance, an angry marriage or an angry home, have a 35% higher incidence of disease and live on average of four years less than people who are in healthy relationships. You know why? It's stress. It takes its toll on your body. And, 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 and so it's interesting. Our bodies were never designed to be a storehouse for anger. Anger was designed to come in, do its job, and then leave. But for what many of us, what we do is it comes in and we hold on. And then it holds on to us. Here's what it also does. It causes emotional problems. Unresolved anger and not dealt with properly causes emotional problems. The clinical definition of depression is actually an anger that's turned inward. Where you're angry, you're angry with yourself, you're angry with others, it's turned inward, and instead of it exploding out on everybody else, it's exploding in on you, it's imploding. That's what it, that's what it is. It's the highest consumer of emotions of anything. If you have, you, just as you have a limited amount of physical energy, you also have a limited amount of emotional energy. Do you know that? I, uh, as, as I've been losing weight and I've been, what I've been doing is I've been running a lot and, and it's been a part of my routine now. And I've been, I've never really ever done any kind of endurance kind of running, you know, just never did that. And so this is all really new to me. But what I've really discovered is, as I'm, as I'm doing this is that I have a limited amount of, of energy that must be replenished. If I'm going to run longer distances, you have to refuel. You have to, and I, I didn't know this. And so when one of my first long runs, I didn't know it. And I ended up just crashing. My body was like falling apart, not cardiovascularly, but my body was falling apart. And, uh, and by the way, finished my first official half marathon yesterday. Bam. Okay. And, um, but I didn't know how to do, I didn't know how to do any of that stuff. And so I didn't know that. But what I've been learning is that this does not only go for your physical, for your physical self. Your emotions are like that, to where they can only handle so much. And it's like if you were to go out and you were to just run, like uh, you know, as hard as you could after you got out of here. Some of you would make it a hundred feet. Some of you would make it a hundred yards. Some of you would make it ten miles. We, but all of us are limited in the amount of physical energy that we have. Well, we are all limited in the emotional amount of energy that can be spent. The emotions, our emotions um, have this limited capacity. And if you're always angry and you're living with this anger all of the time, that's never resolved, it's never dealt with, you are headed for a crash. You're going to crash emotionally. That's why the day after someone who wins a, a gold medal, you'll hear them talking about it. And they say, well, I was really kind of depressed for a few days afterwards. It was weird. That's why we'll hear about a, a woman who has a baby and this is a glorious moment in their family and she gets depressed. Afterwards, there's, this, uh, there's a huge mountaintop experience in life when a great event happens and then we're prone to depression. I have this, this mountaintop experience of getting to share the gospel on Sundays, Monday mornings. I struggle. I struggle. It's weird. It's emotional, though, is what I've learned. It's emotional. It's kind of a, you're coming down off of this. Your emotions kind of say, look, man, I, I'm glad we're getting to have, experience all this and we're going to celebrate all of this. But we can only handle a few hours of this. And at some point, we got to come down and rest. So you may wake up tomorrow, but we're not. Good luck with that. We'll be back in a few days. And if you really want to get us down, you just keep on going. You just keep on going. And you just keep us on this treadmill of feeling like you got to be happy all the time. Or you keep us on this treadmill of anger that you never deal with. And you never deal with it properly. And if you don't, it is a crash that is coming. Crash is inevitable. 
anger, when it's deposited inside of us and it's not dealt with in a healthy manner, it puts us on this treadmill that's absolutely, completely wearing you out emotionally. And so we end up getting depressed. And we know that depression is an epidemic in America. What I really believe is it's an epidemic in America because anger is epidemic in America. And many of us, we don't know how to deal with our anger. And so it We turn this inward and we're not processing it and we're not dealing with it in scriptural and healthy ways. Even many Christians struggle with depression and we're so angry and angry with ourselves and angry with God and angry with everyone around us. Listen, what I know is that if we never learn how to properly deal with our emotions, specifically anger, you're going to find a lot of depression in your life. Your emotions are going to say, we can't process all this. We can't keep going this way. We can't keep living like this. We can't stay mad all the time. We were never designed for this. You're wearing us out. So we're told, well, it's, it's a chemical problem. And sometimes it is. Don't misunderstand me. Sometimes it is, and that needs to be addressed, and it needs to be addressed pharmaceutically. And, 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 but many of us, many of us, rather than getting to the root of what's going on, maybe it could be a chemical problem, but it also, for many of us, it's a forgiveness problem. And so we're angry and we don't know how to process these kinds of emotions. We don't learn how to deal with our anger in healthy ways. And you will have emotional problems tomorrow if you don't deal with anger that's in your life today. You will have physical problems tomorrow if you don't resolve some of the anger that you're carrying today. And then here's what you're also going to experience. It's going to you're going to see it's going to cause spiritual problems. Jesus says in Matthew chapter 6, as you forgive men, and this isn't in your notes, but you can write it down and look at it. But Matthew 6, as you forgive men their trespasses against you, so will your heavenly Father also forgive you. As you will not, neither will my heavenly Father forgive you your trespasses. And so let me just say this, and this is really hard to think about. It's hard to deal with. It's hard to process. But if you've been harboring the sin of bitterness in your heart for, let's say, 10 years, and you've just been bitter, and, and you've not processed you know, the anger. I'm not saying that you don't get angry from time to time, but you've just been holding on to a resentment and anger, a grudge. It's turned sinful in your life. Then what you need to know is that if that's been going on for 10 years, you've been out of fellowship with God for 10 years. I'm not saying if you're a believer, you're out of relationship with God. You you may be sealed and you may be on your way to heaven, but I'm talking about out of fellowship with God. What I mean is that there's not intimacy there between you and God. You may be like, I feel so dry spiritually. I feel so, you know, like I can never connect with God. I don't know what God wants from me or I don't hear from God. Or I'm not saying that this is the case all the time, but there could be some unresolved bitterness that you need to deal with because you're out of fellowship with God. What we're saying is God... And now listen, God still loves you. You're still on your way to heaven. But what scripture says is you're living in foolishness and you're not maximizing the life that God has given you to live today. He doesn't want you just to just go to heaven one day. That's a great benefit, right? But he wants you to know how to live today. That's wisdom. And not short circuiting your life through bitterness. It affects your fellowship with God. When I have an unforgiving heart, and, and I hold on this, to this bitterness. What I'm saying is, God, I want you to give me your grace and the benefits that come with that in my own life. And I don't deserve it, God. And we love that portion of it. But God, I am not willing to give it to somebody else. We don't have time to get into this, but you, have you heard of the story of the unmerciful servant? Who he was forgiven of all of this great debt that couldn't be paid back. And he had one guy that... I mean, it could never be paid back in a lifetime. He had one guy that owed him a little bit. And then what did he do? He threw him in jail. And then, and then God, God uses that as a lesson for us. God says, in the, in the same manner you show grace and you extend grace to others, he says, you're going to experience that. Judge not for the same manner in which you judge, you will be, what does he say? Judge. So it's imperative that we, that we take this grace that we've been given, we put it in our lives, and sadly, Christians, many Christians, people who say they love Christ and we we come in and we raise our hands to God and we sing praises to God and we are we're trying to make things in this great relationship with God and be in fellowship with God. But yet at the same time, we can be some of the most petty individuals. We're angry 
and we're vindictive and we're bitter and we don't know how to express the grace and forgiveness that we've experienced to others. And, and when we live like this, it affects everything. It affects our relationships. It affects our health, our emotions. It affects our spiritual relationship with God and our witness for Christ. So we've talked about these negative impacts of an uncontrolled anger. And, and many of us, we know if Scripture is speaking to us today, we know. Nobody has to point to us. And he talks about being wise and being a fool. And the question is, how do we begin to deal with our anger? How do we begin to deal with that? And I may have to come back and do a two-part on this message at some point, maybe in a couple weeks. Um, I'll get back to this. But, but let, let me just give you some things that if you go to Ephesians with me, He's going to begin to talk about, the Apostle Paul is going to begin to talk about this solution in your life. And I'm just going to, I'm going to cut to the chase. I'm going to say it really straightforward. Here is the thing. I can't give you four easy steps on how to fix your anger. It's not going to come that way. This, simply and clearly put, must be an act of God in your life through the Spirit of God and you yielding to God and Him touching you supernaturally. And you regularly submitting yourself to the Spirit of God. You know, I said that life is this, it's, it's this battle. It's a battle we're in. We're, we're on this journey. And, and, and just as I, I share it all the time with people, man, I'm in this battle every day for my physical health because I'm so prone to foolishness and gluttony and folly and all of this. And every, it's not just day to day, man. It is moment by moment for me. And I'm going to tell you, it's the same thing when it comes to this area of our anger. It is a moment-by-moment battle when you are choosing and making the choice to walk in the Spirit of God as a believer, to take this gift of the Holy Spirit that's been given to you. Jesus said, I'm giving you this great gift, this great counselor, not only one that's going to tell you how to live, but empower you to live if you will receive it. He's saying that's going to make this difference in your life. Paul's going to talk about this new life in Christ. Look at Ephesians 4, 17. He says this, he says, Now this... I say and testify in the Lord that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. In other words, in the darkness, in the same way the world functions. And, 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 and we know how angry our world is. And what he's saying is those that don't know God. He says they are darkened in their understanding. They are alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to their hardness of heart. God's not come in. He's not, he's not um, you know, made this heart of stone into a heart of flesh is the what, way Ezekiel talks about it. They have become callous and they have given themselves up to sensuality. That speaks of all kinds of sexual immorality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. But look at this. But now he's going to say, but listen, Christian, listen, believer. But that is not the way you learned Christ. Assuming that you have heard about him. And he says, and, and that you were taught in him as the truth is in Jesus. And this is often called the put off and put on passage here. It talks about when we are in Christ, when we baptize someone, we say you're buried in the likeness of Christ's death. You're dead to self now and you're raised to walk in a brand new, new life. This is your new life. This is your new way of living. The old has gone. The new has come. You're a new creation in Christ. You handle things differently. You respond to things differently. And the way that you respond is in subjection to the Holy Spirit in your life. Not what your flesh calls for. Look at what he's going to say. He's going to say. He says in uh, verse 25. Actually, uh, go back one. He says to put off your old self, which belongs to the to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds. Okay, he's talking about this renewal that happens for you and to put on the new self. You make a choice to yield to him daily. And, and, and to put on the new self created after the likeness of God and true righteousness and holiness. Put on, put off the old, put on the new, make a choice regularly. He's saying, therefore, having put away falsehood, that's lying. Let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor. And, and, and for we are members one of another. Take consideration that we are a body. He says, now look at what he says in verse 26. Be angry and what? Do not sin. 
Do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. And then he's going to talk about, we don't have time to read it, but he's going to begin to talk about next. He's going to talk about, uh, don't let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths. Don't grieve the Holy Spirit of God. Don't do these things. About, look at verse 31. And now this is what he's going to say needs to go away. And needs to have a death in our lives daily. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with all malice. Be kind to one another. Tender hearted. Forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. Again, it comes back to recognizing what God has done for you and saying, this has got to be a part of my life. I want God's grace in my life. I want, I want this, this fellowship of God in my life. God has been good to me. He's forgiven me. I need to forgive. I need to release this anger I've been carrying. It's harming me. It's harming me emotionally. It's harming my family. It's harming my relationships. Now, just, just as quickly as I can, I want to give you what he's going to talk about is this destructive anger, dis- disarming this destructive anger. And what he's going to say first is this. He's going to say, first, don't deny your anger. He says, be angry. We all say, amen, I got that. And then we want to stop. I can do this. He says, be angry. Now, what we take from this is that we need to develop a theology of conflict, a theology of anger, not live in denial and pretend that it's not there, but actually to to embrace it and to own it and to look at it and to say, I must deal with this. When I took some time off a, a few summers ago, Because I was really struggling emotionally. I was struggling spiritually. And I shared this with our church um, as as I'd been in ministry for 20 years now. And and it was just catching up with me. And what I kind of struggle with a little bit sometimes is is conflict. And knowing how to deal with it in a healthy, healthy way. I'm being honest with you. Sometimes I'm a spewer and, you know, and watch out. Other times I'm a stewer, okay? And I'm like this inward burn is going on and I don't deal with it. And so I was kind of stewing about some things and I was struggling with it. And, and I was finding myself just more and more depleted spiritually. I was finding myself, now this is, I'm admitting this to you as a pastor, uh, rather than feeling compassionate for people. And, and when people would share with me what was going on and their hurts and all this, I would, I would literally be sitting there and I could feel anger burning inside of me. And I, and I started to resent people. That's when I said, time out. Something's wrong. Something is wrong. I came and I talked to, I said, I I, I need to figure out what's going on with me. There's something not right. I need to step aside for just a little bit. I need to take a little bit of time off. If you will grant that to me, I need to look at myself for just a bit. Church allowed me to do that. Very grateful for that. Saved me in the ministry because I was able to reflect inward and look at some of the anger that was going on that I needed to deal with. I didn't know how to process anger. And it would come out in my family. It would come out in my conversations. And, and, and listen, the thing that we have to do is, do, and while I was away for that amount of time, I said, what God showed me was, Bart, you're going to have to learn how to deal with this. Or you're not going to make it. Or your marriage is not going to make it. Or, or your family is not going to make it. Your kids are going to reap this, you know, as, as you're sowing this into them. It's going to be a generational thing. What I've discovered is this, is that Christians are going to fight, aren't they? Because we're sinful and we, we, we're going to get crossways. Staffs are going to get crossways with each other. We're going to fight. We're going to have conflict. And what we need to develop is a theology of anger and conflict. Most of us, our theology is avoid it or get angry and seethe. Instead, what we need to do is we need to embrace it and deal with it in a biblical and godly way. Just, just very quickly because we're out of time. So he's going to say, be angry. But then what he's also going to say, and there's different kinds of angers. Again, there's the stewers, the spears, there's the intimidators, there's the internalizers, and there's all kinds of reasons we get angry. There's passive aggressive. There's ways to play that out where, hey, okay, I'm, I'm, let me show you how I'm angry. I'm eating Cheetos in bed. What do you think about that? Okay. I mean, there's all kinds of things. There's all ways of manifesting it in ways that are not, that are not good. What we've got to do, we've got to take it to God. Take it to Him. So He's going to say now, He's going to say, be angry, but He's going to say, but don't justify your sin because you're angry. 
Paul says, be angry. We like that. But then he says, and it's an imperative command in the Greek. He's saying, actually get angry. And he's saying, in, in your anger, don't sin. What he's saying is when you get angry, you do have a choice. Have you noticed how we can? We say, well, I can't control myself. Have you noticed how you can be in a fight with your spouse and you are just, man, venom is coming out and the phone rings. And you're like, hey, how's it going? How you doing? Yeah, we're good. Do you know what that demonstrates? You can control it. That's what that proves. You can be kind. Okay. That's not in the notes. That one's for free. All right. So you don't justify sin because you're angry. Paul says, be angry, but you have a choice in how you're going to. What is the choice? The choice is at that moment when you begin to feel the blood boil, when you begin to feel that it's starting to happen, okay, the steam is building. And I can tell, I start, my, I, I start literally, I can start feeling like my hands kind of start shaking a little bit, you know. Some of you are going to be looking at my hands now. What's he getting like, you know. And, and, and I can start feel it happening. I, I'm, I can just, my blood pressure is going up. That is the moment as a believer, I must go to my savior and say, I need you to step in right here. I need you to step in. I am about to make a fool out of myself. Guard my mouth. I I need to die to this and I must come alive to Christ. Lord, you help me in this meeting that I'm going into. You help me with this person that I'm talking to. Lord, don't let hurtful things come out of my mouth. May I be truthful, but I may I be loving so he's going to say, and Paul's going to say in Galatians, he's going to say, this is life by the spirit. So I say, let the Holy Spirit guide your lives. He wants to come alongside us and show us how to deal with this. Then you won't be doing what your sinful nature craves. It wants to say whatever we want to say. But then the sinful nature, it bows out when we're dealing with all the aftermath, right? Hey, I'm going to leave you to deal with that. When you follow the desires of your sinful nature, the results are very clear. Here's what happens whenever we, when we make a poor choice and we don't yield to the Spirit of God. Sexual immorality, impurity, lustful pleasures, idolatry, sorcery, hostility, quarreling, jealousy. Oh, wow, look at this one. How did it find its way in there? Outbursts of anger. Selfish ambition, dissension, division, envy, drunkenness, wild parties, and all other sins like these. Well, we don't yield to the Spirit of God, but instead the, the flesh is in control. But then he's going on, he's going to say, you have a choice, a choice to die to self, a choice to deny self and take up our cross. And he's going to say, when you do this and the Holy Spirit takes control in your life, the Holy Spirit, verse 22, produces this kind of fruit in our lives. Tell me this wouldn't affect our relationships. Love, joy. Peace. Well, this is a key for anger. Patience. Kindness. Goodness. Faithfulness. Gentleness. And wow, look at this one too. And self-control. It comes through the Spirit of God's power. What's being described here is the personality of God. And God says, you can have it. I'll give it to you. You're going to have to yield to me though. Paul's going to go on. He's going to say, don't let the sun go down in your anger. What he's essentially saying, that's another, that's a way of resolving it in an improper way is you just, you don't ever deal with it. You avoid it. He says, don't let the sun go down. To disarm it, you've got to deal with it. Because when you, when you don't deal with it, he's going to talk about the devil getting a foothold in your life. A foothold is like a beachfront. He's taken ground in your life. He's taken ground in your marriage whenever you won't deal with it and it just keeps and again the internalizers will get passive aggressive and it comes out in different ways and and the the uh, ones that are intimidators they will just say everything and then you know try to fix everything afterwards and what he's saying is when you don't begin to deal with it in a proper kind of way and you let the sun go down on your anger you give the devil a beachfront in your home And what he gets and what the devil does, and he's so good at it, is he does what he's great at. He comes in and he deceives and he accuses because that's what his name is, the deceiver and the accuser. And he comes in and when you go to bed and you're like, I'm not going to deal with it, you know, and you go to bed mad. He comes in and he says, hey, don't you do the right thing. You do the right thing. You forgive or you, you know, try to handle this. You let them run over you all the time. They're just going to keep doing it. You're going to be a doormat. Don't you die to self. And then the deception is on. 
And then he's going to say, by the way, do you know what they did and how they are? And you find yourself getting mad about things that they haven't even done yet. Okay. And they're going to always be like this. He's the accuser. He says, don't let the sun go down. So I want to bring this just to a close because out of time, but the way that we begin to get control of our anger is through a yielding of our lives to the spirit of God. Daily, every morning when you wake up, you have a choice. God, am I going to live by my desires of my flesh? Or as a believer, God, am I going to yield to your spirit today? Fill me up, God, with your spirit. Fill me up. When choices come, God, help me make the right choice. I want to ask you to pray with me. You this morning would just say, in all honesty... You know, this is an area that I'm really struggling with. And I just want to ask you just to pray for me, Pastor Barn. It's an area that I can allow to get out of control in my life. And I've done some damage. And I just come in brokenness this morning, seeking God's healing in this area in my life. If that's you this morning, would you just, would you just, no one else looking around, just lift your hands and just say, Pastor Barn, would you pray with me? I've got some anger I need to deal with. I have, an, I have an angry heart right now. See, what God is doing as you lift your hands, and you can put them down now. I thank you for your honesty. He's coming to you just before a bad decision that we saw Cain make. And God says, why are you so angry? Why are you so angry? Let's begin to figure out what's going on with your anger. Let's begin to deal with it. Let's begin to die to self in this area. Let's get help where we need help. Let's just submit it right now to God. And some of you, you may need further help. We're glad to help you. We can connect you with Christian counselors as well that can help you process and deal with this. Uh, Pastor Randy, along with myself, we're glad to help you. We want to help because this is an area that can destroy our lives. Let me just pray for you as we close. Father, I praise you. I thank you that you love us, that you don't condemn us, that, God, you offer us your grace. I pray for these who've lifted their hands and they're acknowledging, God, I have a I have a problem, Lord, in this area. It can be out of control. So, God, I'm just coming to you today. And our prayer, Lord, is we seek your forgiveness. We thank you that your grace abounds. We thank you that you are described as slow to anger. That, Lord, you're patient with us. And now, God, help us begin to deal with what's going on there. And not just drop it when we leave this room, but to begin to really seek you out in bringing resolution to an uncontrolled and unbridled anger. We love you, God, and I thank you. I pray you'd minister to the hearts of these, Lord, who are battling with this. Thank you, God. You don't just say, figure out how to be wise on your own, but you begin to show us in your word. We love you, Lord Jesus. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Pastor Randy.